most of us are hiding something. And what it looks like is this idea of hiding part of yourself to fit in, hiding yourself for fear of rejection or judgment, and hiding yourself because you think that it will allow you to connect with people differently. But the truth is hiding is exhausting and lonely. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What gets you up in the morning? What drives your decisions? What do you stand for? No idea? Not even sure where to start? I use my values to guide my life and career. It's the basis of how I've built boundaries for myself and stuck to them. Are you ready to dig into what matters to you? Go to thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet. That's thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet to get to your core values and take action on what matters most. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Our guest today is Ruth Rathblot. Ruth is an expert on inclusion and diversity. She is a TEDx and inspirational speaker, best-selling author, and an award-winning former nonprofit leader. She was born with a limb difference and speaks with leaders on issues of equity and belonging, the gifts of being unique, and the freedom of accepting your differences. Ruth was profiled as a CEO in the New York Times corner office and received Goucher College's Excellence in Public Service Award, among other awards, for her outstanding leadership in the nonprofit sector. She has spent her entire career focused on providing opportunities for those who have been underrepresented. She serves as a board member of the Lucky Finn Project. In our discussion, We talked about having to hide part of yourself to fit in. Have you ever felt like you had to hide part of yourself to fit in? Do you think anyone on your team at work or in your family has? Do you wish you could be part of an inclusive community where people feel seen and heard and different experiences and perspectives are valued? Yeah, then you are in the right place. This is a conversation for everyone. And it will require you to think about yourself, those on your team, and in your life in introspective ways. So our guest, Ruth, is an expert who delves into the profound concept of expanding the definition of diversity to be truly inclusive. What makes her uniquely relevant is a defining experience when she was questioned about the diversity of leadership at an organization she was part of and courageously shared how she didn't feel included in that discussion. Her differences were dismissed. She realized that she was still hiding parts of herself, 
This pivotal interaction sparked her profound realization that the way we frame diversity conversations can inadvertently force people to hide essential aspects of their identity. This insight propelled her onto her transformative journey. She is not just a TEDx speaker, she's the best-selling author of the profoundly impactful book, Single-Handedly, Learning to Unhide and Embrace Connection. With immense wisdom and compassion, she's here to engage us in a discourse on how to unhide our best selves and foster an environment of belonging. I know that you'll get a lot out of our conversation. Let's get started. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ruth. I've been looking forward to our conversation all week. Same. I'm excited to dig in. And I think it's such an important space, especially a lot of us don't think we belong in the C-Suite. And so how do we how do we go there? Yeah. So today I'm really excited to hear about your personal experience. And then we're going to dig into some really important topics. But before we do, I'd love to just hear more about your experience and um, your story. So I'd love to invite you to share that with us. And as we welcome people to this podcast, we love hearing about all aspects of life, um, growing up, career, all those kinds of things. But what are the things that are, are most important and pivotal for us to know about your story? Yeah, I think I was in the C-suite for many years. I was a CEO of a nonprofit and loved my work and my leadership roles around the idea of advocating and getting young people education opportunities, access to mentors and to career opportunities, and really loved that part of my career. And Laura, I was one of those people who was a lifelong nonprofit person. I And I always admired those women and men, but women specifically who had one or two careers, like they had multiple careers. And I always thought, well, I'm just in the nonprofit space. Like that's going to be my life trajectory. And there was a pivotal conversation that happened where I was asked about diversity and leadership. And at one point, as I was kind of navigating that conversation, I asked a really naive question. I said, do you see me as diverse? And the answer back was, well, you check that box of gender. So that's diversity. And I said, "Mm -hmm. what about my disability and my limb difference? I was born missing my left hand, a full formed left hand. And the answer back to that was, oh, well, we don't see you like that. And I said, not sure I understand, though I can imagine I'm not asking to be seen as anything. I'm looking for it to be acknowledged as part of diversity. And Laura, I started reaching out to some of my corporate partners where I had done fundraising and I had been on panels of DEI and attended panels of DEI. And I started to notice that disability was missing from the conversation. And one of my corporate partners said, we have an inclusion week coming up. Do you want to be part of it? We don't have anyone with a visible disability. And I thought, well, I don't really have a story to tell other than my nonprofit career and my, the young people I've worked with and their families. And he said back to me, he said, Ruth, you've told me that you hid your hand for 25 years of your life. That's a story. And I went in and did that. And I started to reflect on the conversation around being seen as having a disability 
in that diversity conversation, what I realized, Laura, is even though I wasn't hiding my hand anymore, I wasn't sharing out my journey. I wasn't talking about the challenges. I wasn't talking about the ways I'd accommodated and adapted. And so I was making it look really easy for people and not owning that part of my life. And that really was a pivotal moment in terms of how do I want to spend my life in terms of what do I want to be talking about and doing and advocating for? I love that uh, you shared that pivotal moment. So in that reflection of that, um, even though at the time of that conversation, you weren't physically hiding yourself, you weren't sharing your story. So do you feel like in essence, you were hiding that part of you? Or tell me more about that. Yes, because I think one aspect of hiding, while I was physically hiding for 25 years and putting it in my pocket, putting it with longer sweaters, hiding it behind bags, like coming up with very creative ways. And I, Laura, I got really, really good at hiding. And when I stopped hiding, which was a whole journey of learning to unhide, I realized that a piece that was missing from my unhiding was the sharing out of my story, A, for me to own my voice around it, but also to help others. And so, yeah, I had, it's kind of like, I imagine somebody who has an addiction who just stops the addiction, right? But they're not dealing with all the feelings and the the space around that addiction. That's in some ways similar. And I don't say it lightly. It's that idea that my hiding was so much about the voices in my head around the minds, my mindset around what my disability meant. And so when I started talking about it, I started to get language around disability. I started to get language around what that journey of hiding was like and what that journey of not feeling connected or having community was like. And as you Talk about hiding. Let's unpack what hiding can even mean and like what it can look like. It can mean physically hiding. And then in later in your journey, it was not sharing a story. So you do a lot of work within organizations. What can this look like from an experience of somebody who is hiding something? What, what does that behaviorally look like? What does that feel like? Yes. What I found in writing my book is that most of us are hiding something. And what it looks like is this idea of hiding part of yourself to fit in, hiding yourself for fear of rejection or judgment, and hiding yourself because you think that it will allow you to connect with people differently. But the truth is hiding is exhausting and lonely. And how it manifests, I mean, I've had people share with me, they hide their age, they hide their race, they hide their vocal, their way, they, their speech, whether it be a language difference or whether it be a stutter. Um, I've had people tell me they hide their scars on their body. They hide their education backgrounds. They hide their religion. I think, Laura, now even here in this country, we hide our politics, right? There's this feeling of if I say who I am, parts of myself, whether it be any of those aspects, somebody will judge me or reject me or think I'm not able and it will limit my connection. And the reality is when we hide, we actually limit ourselves because we spend so much time then worried and petrified that if someone finds out, they'll do those things. And so it becomes this, we can't tell them. And it becomes almost like lying it becomes harder and harder to unhide when we've hidden that part of ourselves. 
I mean, many of us know, you know, the age thing, right? That there's a space around, oh, I don't want to tell my age, whether it's I'm too young or I'm too old in my head. And so then what happens when you want to celebrate a milestone birthday or you want to celebrate something about your age and then you've already, you haven't shared that part. I had a friend who, before I was going on stage, said to me, do not tell anyone our age. And I said, well, that usually doesn't come up when I speak. It's not something I talk about a lot. I mean, I don't, I don't not say it, but it doesn't come up in my speech. And I said, I'm just curious, how did we meet then? How did we meet? And she said, well, we met in New York. And I said, I know, but we went to college together. So like this idea of age is, and she said, but in the tech industry and, and arts industry, like that isn't something that's valued. Um, and so I understand the space around hiding. It really can affect us in so many multiple ways. And again, it's the stories often in our head that are so much worse than the reality. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. If I'm even just thinking from my own experience, what have I hidden at different stages of my career? It might have been um, my age. Um, It might have it absolutely was my age at one point. It was feeling not good enough to be in some of those rooms, probably some imposter syndrome you're trying to hide, maybe some anxiety. Um, So sometimes it's just even how you feel in certain spaces, which then to your point leads to not the whole point is you want to belong, but then you don't feel like you do even more so. Right. You're trying to fit in and then you're not fitting in because you're not actually your authentic self. So exactly, exactly. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the podcast is called You Belong in the C-Suite on purpose, right? Because a lot of us don't feel like we do. And so this idea of hiding, I think, is probably, I'm sure, resonates with with lots of different people. Um, So what is the process of the unhiding then? If you, I mean, you describe this idea of, you know, somebody pointed that out to you. And so it feels like some self-awareness. It feels like a very cognizant, intentional decision to do the unhiding bit of it. Can you share a bit more about that? Yes, you have to get, I think with hiding, you almost have to get to a place where it's exhausting and lonely and it's holding you back and you start to recognize, especially in a workplace, how is it holding me back? How is it holding me back? Yeah, from promotion, but also I think, Laura, it's deeper. How is it holding me back from connecting with people, right? How is it holding me back from showing up as my best self at work? How is it holding me back from connecting to my teams and, you know, so that people aren't making assumptions about my behavior because they don't know some of the backstory? And as a leader, how is it holding me back from those connections? But also as a company, how is it holding me back as being innovative, right? Like if we're holding ourselves back, how do we show our innovative selves? And I know a perfect example of it is I had someone share that they don't talk in meetings. They came up and they told me, oh, I don't talk in meetings because of my stutter. And I said, well, isn't that a shame? I said, because you're holding yourself back. And so that's all you're thinking about during the workday is, is someone going to find out about my stutter, about my speech, about my scar, about my, you know, X, Y, Z. Then it's the idea that it's holding your team back because they're making assumptions about why don't, doesn't this person talk in meetings? Why don't they ever have a good idea? They're probably not that smart. Like we start to then put assumptions onto people when they're holding back or hiding. And then I said, isn't that a shame because you're not connecting to the team. 
And your comp the company that you're working for isn't getting your most innovative ideas because you're not expressing them. And so it has to get to that place that you realize and start to acknowledge what is am I hiding and how is it holding me back? And then it's about the step of unhiding. The second step in unhiding is identifying someone that you can trust to invite in. So it's that inviting someone in, whether it's, and it's, I think I imagine for your listeners, it's someone they can immediately think about, who do I trust at work? Is it a, a coworker? Is it a friend? Is it a manager, an HR leader? Is it my leader of my company that's created that safe place that I can just share this, this piece that I've acknowledged? And that happened for me. I found someone who after 25 years, I was exhausted of not having really deep, intimate relationships with people. And so I met someone and I invited them in to show me how to actually unhide, how to show, to actually look at my hand for the first time, how to touch it, how to actually take care of it and protect it in ways that I hadn't before. So that inviting someone in is a really important second step. And then the third step, Laura, in unhiding is how do we start to build out community? The beauty of the internet, and I know it has its pros and cons, is that you can find someone and some people, some group of people with what you're dealing with. That's the beauty most often is you can find a group or a community of people who have similar shared experiences, similar differences. And so I was lucky enough, I found a group of people with limb differences just like mine. And I had thought I spent Laura so much of hiding you feel so alone. You think you're the only one hiding. And so part of unhiding is finding that shared experience, people with who have gone through what you've been through or understand it. And then the fourth and final step of unhiding is this idea of sharing out your story. And it doesn't mean having to go on a podcast like this. It doesn't mean going on a stage. It can mean just telling a few friends and sharing your story so that it helps someone else. Because then what happens is it becomes a loop or almost like a flywheel of self-perpetuating, -perpetu self unhiding. I mean, I was talking to a woman recently, Laura, who went to a retreat and she shared about her anxiety during that retreat with just a few people. And someone came up to her after and said, thank you so much. Like, I've been, I have that same anxiety or very similar anxiety. I had no idea that there were other people who felt like that. And so that becomes, now he's able to start to acknowledge what he's hiding and start to invite someone in and start to build community and share his story so that it starts that whole cycle again. That's the way we unhide and we create safe places for people to do that in the workplace. I love the steps. And I think the most important thing that you said to me from a leader perspective is this idea of trust. And so my, the question that I had was, man, how are we creating trusting relationships and safe spaces for, to be that person for someone, right? doesn't mean that you have to be that for everyone, but that is something that we can do as leaders of teams because not everybody's, you're not going to be that for everybody. Of course not. But I would imagine sharing similar things, modeling stuff like that could be yes. a way to signal um, safe spaces, being obvious with um, what you value and creating psychological safety and trust in general probably helps too. Mm -hmm. 
my award-winning book, Values First, How Knowing Your Core Beliefs Can Get You the Life and Career You Want, is now available in audiobook. Since the book released just last year, the biggest question that I've gotten from readers is, is it available in audiobook? In this book, you'll get to hear my most pivotal career stories and some of the successes of my clients as you learn about the Values First framework and how you can take action on your life and career. The audiobook is narrated by me, so if you love this podcast, you'll love the audiobook. Values First, How Knowing Your Core Beliefs Can Get You the Life and Career You Want, is now available on Audible and iTunes. Can you think of other things that as leaders we can be doing to create some of these safe spaces of trust? Absolutely. I think as a leader myself, I fought for a long time, Laura, that leaders were responsible for culture. And I know it sounds strange now to say, well, of course they do. I fought it because I work with people. I worked with people. I thought everybody's responsible for culture. I don't work with robots. Like I'm not in charge. But the truth is, it does start with leaders. And so the first step for leaders is understanding their own differences. And I built out a framework for that also. But the piece that I start with is the understanding part. What are your own differences? Where have you hidden in your life? What are your own understandings and differences about difference itself and your biases toward difference? So doing the work as a leader proactively is the first step, understanding those differences. and then modeling it to your point and sharing out your story and opening it up space to say, this is something we value at this company. We value different experiences. We value different perspectives and I'm going to go first. And it's a two-way street, right? It's leaders going first and employees recognizing that that the value also of what that connection means, like, and that unhiding means. No, the framework I created is this idea of how do leaders model inclusion? How do they create inclusion? And it's an acronym. It's called the cure to inclusion. So it stands for connection for C, understanding, representation, and empathy with the heart of belonging at the center. And it's a step, it's a process where, yes, leaders go first. It starts with the you. Then it's about how do you listen differently, right? When you have an understanding, when you've done the work, you can connect with people in a different way. When you start to then, after you've started to figure out the connection piece, looking at your team and thinking about whose voices are represented, whose voices are not represented in some of the conversations that you're having, who's on your team that is giving you information about belonging and inclusion and engagement. Because some of the voices that we don't hear are some of the voices that are going to make our companies more innovative, that are going to make us better leaders, because they're going to actually point out some things that we need to hear. And then the last piece is, how do we show empathy? Um, Again, to your point, it's not about being everybody's model, but it is modeling for people, right? And it's creating that space so that people feel like they can belong and that they are seen and that they are heard. Um, And leaders have an opportunity, and I would say a necessity in creating that space. Yeah, agree with necessity. I feel like there's not enough of those things happening right now. And I think it 
it is um, upon us as leaders to to do all of those things. Now, as you think about the journey of the unhiding, I'm sure there's different roadblocks that you hit along your own journey. And on our podcast, we we talk a lot about authenticity tied to your values and then also building boundaries tied to your values. So it made me think about what boundaries did you potentially need to put in place as you were going through your journey of unhiding and what, um, because you can't control everybody and, you know, it's a vulnerability, right. To be able to, to share your story in that trusting place, you're putting yourself out there. And so tell me, tell me about that. What potential boundaries did you need to, to build to keep yourself safe? I think you're absolutely right. I can't control everyone. And I think that's probably a good thing in life, like to real to have that un- understanding that you can't and that there are going to be some tough times with when you share your story that it doesn't always feel safe. I'm also recognizing, Laura, that I come from a place of privilege in terms of the space that I talk about on hiding because I recognize there are certain groups that absolutely feel unsafe. And I think given where we are right now, understandably feel unsafe and unhiding. So how do we, and I'm, so I talk about unhiding. Sometimes it can be more localized than nationally or internationally, right? It can be more, how do you, how, how is it holding you back that hiding? How can you connect with the, your group so you don't feel so alone in terms of the, the boundaries. And I think the values, I think the boundaries question is really, is really rich. I think sometimes with disability, and we talked about this a little bit off, right, is with disability, there's sometimes a feeling that we're, as outsiders, allowed to ask about someone's disability. We're allowed, we almost, we have the right to ask what happened to, to you, what, what's your story? Whereas we may not do that in any other lens of diversity. I think with disability, I will have people say, oh, what happened to your hand? And I'm okay with that because that's where I am in my journey with it and of unhiding. And recognizing there are some people that aren't in that space or don't want to be the teachers for others about disability. This is their experience. They're they're guarding it or they're that's where they are. So for me, with this, I mean, I've had Laura people say, I remember in it was actually in Texas, it was somebody yelled across a parking lot, did you cut your hand off yourself? Mm-hmm. And that was in front of a whole group of people. And that's as an adult, I I heard that. That's like, we don't always have the right to know everything. And I actually talk about if you're asking out of curiosity, pause and ask yourself, why do I need to know? Is it out of kindness and is it out of support? That's where the boundaries start to happen for me is like, are you asking out of kindness because you want to support me and that's why you need to know? Then, hey, that's okay. And being okay with maybe I don't want to share everything. So it's, it's a fine line and it's, it's every person has their own journey with it. I think the other piece, Laura, is that especially around disability is as children, our natural inclination is to be curious, right? Like that's who we are. And what happens when children ask about difference or disability, immediately a parent or a guardian will come over and say, oh, I'm so sorry they asked you about that. I'm so sorry. And so what we do and we've done now we're adults thinking about it is we signal, don't be curious about things, which is a natural childhood thing. And we also message and signal disability is something we don't talk about. And so how do we start to own that, that 
each of us has differences. Many of us will be impacted and, and challenged with disability at some point of our lives. And the boundaries are, yeah, how do we, it goes back to how do we make sure we're asking because of support and kindness. Um, and that's where I come out with the boundary part. I mean, I've had people reach out and touch my hand, pray for it, uh, you know, that it will grow. And while I will take every prayer in the world, that's, it's not going to grow. Like, I don't want to disappoint anyone either. Um, so it's the understanding boundaries around why we're asking certain things. And again, I would argue that might be true of every lens of diversity. Um, why are we asking about race? Why are we asking about age? Why are we asking about gender? Why are we asking about sexual orientation? Putting up the, understanding the boundaries of someone's journey with where they are. Um, and why do we need to know? Yeah, I feel like um, oftentimes, especially with like social media, our curiosity is, like you said, is our first and foremost. And there's less filters. And so I think people are not being intentional um, and are absolutely not being empathetic in those situations. And so I love those. Um, questions. Is it kind? Am I there in a lens of support? Right. Is it helpful? Right. It's kind of like that. I know there was an acronym I've seen over the years. Like when you say something, is it, I think the acronym is think it's like, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it necessary? And is it kind? I think, I think there's probably a one in there that I've missed up, but like, it's that idea of like pausing, right? That's the boundary is how do we pause to take a moment to think about why we're asking. Um, and again, I think it happened. It's if we all started to practice that, we might actually then be creating those safe places that people could feel like they could identify or self-identify and share their stories. But the ba boundaries are really important. I think especially around disability is understanding someone's boundaries and being okay that they may not need su your support because you've made an assumption about it. Yeah, I can imagine. Um that that could come up in physical disabilities and invisible disabilities too. I think sometimes we may, when we find out about someone's invisible disability, we may make assumptions too without asking. And so my plea is often to stop making assumptions and to ask instead, and you give someone the opportunity to share where they need support and where they don't. Um, I was on a quick story, but I was on a zip lining. I was in Belize on a zip lining tour. And immediately the guide didn't give me the orange gloves that are needed to go on the zip line. And I had had a friend say, Oh, if you're ever going to go zip lining, make sure you get those padded gloves. Cause they are, have you ever been zip lining, Laura? I have not. Okay. So note to you too. And to your listeners, like they, they put you in a harness and they, you know, have a wire that you'll connect to the zip line. And the most important thing is those gloves. Cause you're holding on to the wire. And the guide, I called over the guide and I said, I think I'm just missing my gloves, my orange gloves. And he said, oh, well, you won't need them. You're going to be going on the back of a buddy. And I said, what? And I knew he'd seen my hand. So, and he connected the, I connected the dots and so did he. And I said, no, no, I kayak, I ski, I do everything. And luckily another guide was near us and he overheard that conversation and said, yeah, she's fine. You only need one hand to zip line. So give her the gloves. And 
there's a definitely piece of advocating when you have felt different, but this was one of those spaces where we make assumptions. Like he never asked about what I needed. He never gave me the rules of engagement. Like, Hey, you're going to be going on the zip line. What do you need to make it happen? I just want to give you the, the playbook. Um, and then I could make my decisions. And I think that we often do that with people. Again, I think it's any lens of diversity, Laura. I mean, age, race, gender, sexual orientation, we make mental health, neurodiversity, we make assumptions and let's stop assuming. Yeah. And I, and I think it extends to just kind of lots of different things. I, the more I, the more I work with leaders and organizations, the more I realize that we tend to do what we like. Um, and we, what we experience, right? And so it goes back to to some of your frameworks and in, in terms of how can we understand more experiences from other people that and the experiences that are different than yours? And then how can you just get to know what people want when it comes to like recognition, when it comes to how people like to learn, how to get feedback? Um, it feels like we've lost some of that, just like you said, just just connection to, to our, our teams. And so a question that I love to ask, and you let me know if this is, um, similar for understanding levels of support, but it's, but it's literally what kind of support would you like, or how can I support you best? How can I support you best? That's the, I mean, that's an amazing question. I mean, it's funny. And I, I share this in my TEDx and also in my book, but I had an experience where I was 20 at a law firm and the senior partner on the case called me into his office and he was so focused on my performance and my productivity, he forgot about me as a person and asked the question, he said, Ruth, did you ever go to kindergarten? Because if you had, you would have learned how to use scissors. Because Laura, I was trying to cut out pieces of paper with one hand to get this job done in terms of showcasing patents and why this one deserved a patent and showing various patents and box top competitors for this project. And he, he didn't know about my hand, right? Like he didn't, I was hiding it so well. HR didn't know about my hand. The fellow interns at that job, the paralegals that summer didn't know about my hand and he didn't need to know about my hand to support me. He needed to just ask a question. How can I best support you? Cause my project looked like a mess. And he was right to, to wonder if I ever went to kindergarten, but that's not the question you ask. It's the question is, how can I support you? How do you need, like, where, what's going on? How are you? Like, let's start there. Cause I think oftentimes we focus on performance and productivity and we do, we forget about people and we forget about, you mentioned it just earlier. You said, yeah, as leaders, sometimes we create those spaces that we like, et cetera. And I would add, we also surround ourselves with the people that are like us too, yes. right? And so yes. that's where that representation part of the model comes up is whose voices are we not hearing? Like whose voices do we need to hear? And I think as leaders, it's a really important audit or inventory of who's in the room with us. Like who is telling us yes and who's telling us no? Um, and who's, how are we allowing for diversity in the conversation? And it's not always easy because we sometimes get, we have a mind, but that's leadership. That's how we, that's how, why we're leaders is because we then get to think about vision and strategy with different lenses because our eyes are always on those pieces. But if they're, if we're not surrounding ourselves with people that have different voices, our strategy and our vision is limited. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like either you're on the leader side or also in your unhiding journey, where are the best places to start in terms of next steps? We love a great tangible kind of next step. So I would ask you that kind of from both from both perspectives, from an individual within the workplace and also a leader. Yeah, it's a really simple first step. It's acknowledge what you're hiding. Acknowledge what it is that you have done to fit in or and or connect it, not connected. How is hiding holding you back? Is there an aspect of what we've talked about, Laura, for your listeners that people say, oh, wait, I kind of hid my age for a while because it made me feel this way. So starting with what are you hiding is the first step. And I literally have a space on my website for that, for people to share their story of what they're hiding, just because what you start to realize and recognize is you start to be able to look at it, but you also recognize that you're not alone in this. Like there's so many of us are hiding. I think the stat is, it was a 2013 study done by Deloitte that said 61% of people are hiding a part of themselves in the workplace. Well, I think that number is higher now, 10 years later. I also think COVID and the ramifications of being on Zoom and being able to you know, have your camera off and your microphone muted has allowed for even more hiding in the workplace. And so how do we create that space where people feel like they can unhide? And the first step is acknowledging what you're hiding. Yeah, I I really resonate with that. And I, and I, um, I go back to this idea, I think it was on Glennon Doyle's podcast where she talked about, I can't remember the guests that they had on, but whatever thing that you're hiding for some way, shape or form, um, this idea of it helped keep you safe in some way in the past. And in the, in the advice was to thank your past self for teaching you that because it kept you safe in some part of your life and you're okay with letting that go now. And almost like thinking that part of your past self. And now we're moving on to something else because you don't need that anymore. And so you're kind of, you're getting through that process. You're shedding it. No. And I think to what you just said too, is I think it kept us safe. So yes, thanking that and, and honoring that. But I also think it kept sometimes other people comfortable, you know, yes. like, oh they don't my gosh, yes. Whole space, right. It allowed for other people not to have to be uncomfortable. It allowed for them not to have to ask some tough questions or be curious. And that disrupts connection because if we're holding back and they're holding back, how are we actually connecting? Cause that's the key to unhiding is connection. Ruth, that just hit me that, that thing that you just said, you were trying to make other people comfortable. I think that as women, we do this. I'm a perfectionist slash people pleaser kind of, kind of thing. And if I'm not rocking the boat, then that's great. Right. Not drawing attention to myself, um, being a good student, good employee, good X, Y, Z put in, you know, put in any role that you want, but making other people feel comfortable above your own comfort. Yes, we we do do that. And let's not leave men out of the conversation because men do it too around hiding their mental health. I mean, 46, I think the stat, stat is 46% of men hide their mental health. And again, I think that number is actually higher because we all have this image of what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be operating, how we're supposed to be living. And yes, it makes others uncomfortable if it doesn't 
fit that norm. And so how, how do we, yeah, how do we break down some of those quote unquote norms so that we can actually live and bring, I don't even say our authentic selves. How do we bring our best selves to the workplace? Workplaces are not set up for therapy sessions and coaches and support. That's not their job. And we also want to be able to bring our best self so that we're not holding back, that we are connecting with people and that we're actually able to bring our innovative ideas to work. So that's the, that's the role. And that's the work ahead is how do we create those spaces? Yeah. Thank you so much for this really important conversation. I think that is a really great next step in terms of just identifying the thing that you are hiding. And I'd love to just learn what is the best way to connect with you and learn more about you. Sure. So I have a website, which is ruthrathblot.com. I spend a lot of time, Laura, on LinkedIn and having conversations with people around unhiding and hiding and expanding the conversation on diversity so that people can unhide and thrive and belong. And I did a TEDx talk that I mentioned before, which was called When I Stopped Hiding, I Found Freedom. And then my book just celebrated its birthday, which is my one year birthday, which is called Single-Handedly Learning to Unhide and Embrace Connection. And it's a an international bestseller. And it's just filled with stories of my journey, insights, and then reflection questions so that people can start on that journey of learning to unhide. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. And we'll put all of those links in our show notes for everyone to find them in an easy way. I just want to thank you so much for sharing this space for me with me today and for sharing your experience. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and for amplifying the message around unhiding. Thank you so much, Laura. The work that you're doing is super important, especially for those of us who haven't always felt like we belonged in the C-suite. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.